Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Red Sevilla. I'm the director of New Life CDC. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. One of the ushers can get you one. We're in Exodus chapter 20, and then we're going to jump to Isaiah chapter 6. So we're in a series on the Ten Commandments, and we've touched on uh, the first and the second commandment the past few weeks, and today we touch on, on the third. And uh, do, you, do you remember a couple of weeks back, Rich taught us these great hand signs, these, these tools for us to remember the Ten Commandments? Do you guys remember? Uh, I just want to go through the first one to three, uh, one to three. He did mention that there was a test coming up, so I want to be prepared. I want to be prepared. And so the first, the first one um, was, I'm the Lord your God, you shall have no one else other than me, right? That's one. And two wasn't like this. It wasn't like this. Does anybody remember? Yep, very good, awesome. Yeah, it was like this, right? Number two, second commandment, you shall have, um, do not make any images. No idols, no images. And so one is the image of the other there, right? And then the third one, do you, do you remember? No. Excellent, excellent, yeah. Do not misuse the Lord's name was, was the third. And because it was fantastic, do you remember the fourth one? The fourth one? Keeping the Sabbath day holy? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, this is the Sabbath pillow, right? Sabbath, Sabbath rest. That was, that was great. So if you actually look at the third commandment, it's, um, if you could put that deck up. The third commandment reads, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And so if you study this commandment and how the people of God have observed the third commandment, especially the devout Jewish community, you will come across uh, this writing uh, the, way that, um, the way that God is written is G-D. And it refers to God, but the full name or the full word isn't written. And I actually know several uh, Christians who write the name of God this way. And th- wh- why is it written this way? It's because they're looking to observe the third commandment. They don't want to misuse the name, and so they don't write the full name. Recognizing that the name is to be used in the context of worship, in the context of prayer. And I'll put it this way, if the name of God was like this precious painting of great value, what you would do is you would put security guards in front of it so that nobody has the opportunity to mishandle this work of art. Or you would put this velvet rope in front of it to protect it, to keep anybody from simply handling it the wrong way. The third commandment is like this velvet rope. And scripture says that violating this commandment has serious consequences. For instance, if you, if you look through the book of Leviticus and you look at the first instance that somebody violated this th- third commandment, they were found guilty and then they were stoned. They were stoned when somebody was found guilty of misusing the name of the Lord. And yet, in our world today, I think that you would agree with me that we have lost this reverence for God's name. Uh, His name is used as an expression of frustration. Um, Oh, my blank. 
or people for some reason assume that God's last name is Dan. Or, or maybe um, in your workplace, you've heard the name of uh, God misused. Uh, maybe you're in finance or, or politics or city government. And for me, it was, it was more than 10 years I was in the construction field. And it was actually quite common for me to hear the name of God being mishandled. Uh, but before I point the finger, uh, as I even prepared this talk, I just uh, I did an inventory of how I used the Lord's name, and I was actually embarrassed at how easily I would misuse it. And we see how important this topic is. Um, the, the reason why this needs to be preached is because first we recognize that God is a loving God who desires relationship with his people. God is after, he's after our hearts. He wants our hearts. He is in this pursuit of our hearts. And so if you look at the first and second commandment, these commandments are really matters of the heart. It answers the question, whom will your hearts worship? Those are the first and second commandments. Well, the first two commandments are matters of the heart. The third commandment is really a matter of the mouth. And Jesus makes this connection between the heart and the mouth. Jesus says, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. And so that means that the way that we speak God's name and really all that comes out of our mouths are like, they're like printouts. They're like printouts of what's happening on the inside. And so you didn't figure that your mouths were printers, did you? But your mouths are like printers of what's happening on the inside. And so uh, a question for us this afternoon is, uh, what's your printout like? Is your printout meant to be placed on the refrigerator door for everybody to see and hear? Or is your printout sometimes like mine where it really needs to go in the wastebasket with a shredder attached to it? And so is there a cure Is there a cure to uh, um, unclean speech? Is there a cure to mishandling God's name more than simply holding up three fingers to your lips? Is there a way to handle his name and fashion our speech in a way that truly brings life to those that hear it? Let's, uh, Let's allow the scripture to show us today. And so let's just pray for a moment. Father, I I ask that you uh, capture our hearts this afternoon, that truly we will fall in love with you and respond in a way that honors you with our speech and the way that we handle your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So for our passage, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and it reads as follows. Um, And the reason why I chose uh, Isaiah chapter 6 is because it actually has a beautiful picture of an encounter with God, but also shows the uncleanness, the uncleanness of speech taking place at the same time. And so in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim. Seraphim were these heavenly creatures. Each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. 
And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the, te- and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, you would think that Isaiah, who is a man of God, a prophet of God, would react to this and say, Wow, this is awesome. But yet, if you read through, you see Isaiah's reaction. What does he say? He says, woe is me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so why is his reaction this way? A man of God, a prophet of God, has an encounter with him, and he reacts this way. He says, I am ruined. And the reason why he has a reaction this way is because an encounter with the glory of God, yes, it leads us into worship, it leads us into adoration, but an encounter with God also reveals all our faults. Another way of putting it is the brightest light reveals all our flaws. And can you see why that the third commandment was given to his people? So God is after our hearts. He set free the Hebrew people from Egyptian slavery. And he said, I will make a promise to you. I will be your God. I will be your lover. I will be your provider. He makes this promise. And so the role of the people is to observe the commandments. Because he cannot have in his presence people with unclean speech. That's why Isaiah said, woe is me, I am ruined. Now, some of you might be responding and say, you know, this commandment is ancient, it's outdated. After all, uh, I'm an American citizen, I live in the United States, and this country is a free country. I, I came here because we have freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want. And I look at the subtitle of this series, and it says, how free people live. You telling me about the third commandment isn't exactly giving me the kind of freedom that I know I have. Well, I'll put it it this way, um, because as a parent, uh, I I view life from the lens of a parent. And imagine imagine for a second that I went to my child who's 11 years old and 9 years old, and I say, you can say whatever you want, whenever you want to say it, however you want to say it. That's frightening, isn't it? Because true freedom has boundaries. Or, or, or put it this way. Let's say there's a beautiful rooftop, uh, and you go to a rooftop, fantastic view of the city, and so at the rooftop there might be activity, there, there, there's dining, there's dancing, and wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a fence at the edge of the rooftop that you can rely on to keep you safe. And so boundaries actually provide freedom. True freedom has boundaries. The third commandment is this beautiful boundary. And observing the third commandment is a very, very serious topic with the devout Jewish community. And we have much to learn in how they actually revere the name of God, which represents who God is. And so there's one scholar that addresses why um, 
the religious Jewish community would write G-D instead of the full word. And he writes, the concern with writing the name in its true form is that it might be erased, crossed out, scribbled upon, torn, or thrown in the trash. Writing G-D instead communicates the writer's idea effectively, but since the word is incomplete, there's no risk of defacement. Can you see how, how the, can you see the reverence that they have for the name of God? And when they do have to write the name of God in its full form, they will make sure that that piece of paper is never discarded. So if they do have to write the name of God in its full form, they will place that piece of paper that publication in special storage. Or if they need to put it away, they'll bury it in a Jewish cemetery because it it has the name of God on it. And so imagine for a moment, you go back to your journal, and I know many of you guys journal, and you put on your journal, Dear God, G-O-D. You know what the Jewish community would say to you when you write that? You better not discard that notebook because it has the full name of God on it. Do not mishandle that name. And it shows us that writing G-D is like this safety measure. Again, it's like that velvet rope that protects something of great unspeakable value. And just when I was talking to my daughter about this, um, I was asking her how people would respect the name of God, and she practically interrupted me And she said, Papa, all you need to do is listen to my friends and see how and hear how the name of God is disrespected. She's 11 years old. But you know, I can't be be so quick to judge junior high students. And I'm not going to be so quick to to judge um, politicians who might use the name of God for their own agenda or folks in other professions because there are parts of the church that are guilty as well. There are church leaders who have confessed to using God's name to simply building up their own material kingdom. Or they use use God's name to justify questionable or inappropriate behavior. I realize that we're all like Isaiah. We are all like Isaiah. And then there may be some that might swing the other way. They don't even use God's name at all. But that's not the answer either. Because God told Moses, God told, God told Moses, speak of me. Speak of my name. Speak of me to your children when you sit, when you walk, when you lie, when you get up. Speak of my name, but don't misuse it. And so swinging the other way is not the answer either. And then in my own life, when um, I would just do an inventory of how I use my speech, you know, I just, I just noticed, uh, I just noticed a, a, a few things. You see, like many of you, maybe you've been walking with Christ for a little bit, and, and there was a time where you let go of using God's name in a way that was expressing frustration, or you didn't use his name as a curse word. Um, and so I, I can identify with you, but I had to ask God to just uh, allow me to see how 
uh, I'm handling his name. And there are just a few things that I, that I want to point out um, in how I noticed uh, I mishandle his name. And then maybe you can identify with my, my guilt so I'm not guilty alone so that we could actually join in together in my guilt. And so many of you don't, don't know this, but my title here is director. Um, and there are many of you that actually call me pastor. And I, I recognize that um, it's, it's a way of, of showing respect. But if I were to be honest, when, whenever I get called that title, I cringe, uh, I cringe on the inside. And I recognize it's my issue. Uh, I cringe on the inside because I know how, um, I know how two-faced I could be. And I know how, how hypocritical my, my behavior could be. And I'll just mention a few things that really came to the surface. You know, at, at New Life, there's a lot of great work that needs to be done. Uh, and I'm, I'm proud of being a staff person here. And bec- because of the enormity of the work that's before us and the, and the tremendous responsibility, many of the activities really needs volunteers. Um, but many times it's hard to recruit volunteers. And so sometimes what I do is I'll say, God wants you to serve. <laughs> and it's true that God wants you to serve, but I'm using his name to further my own agenda. Now you know all my tricks. <laughs> and then the second, the second one um, can easily happen on this stage. And how I can, I can talk about the good work of, of God through New Life CDC and I'll give testimonies about what God is doing through evangelism and missional groups. But I, I, know, I know for certain that there have been times where I talk about God simply, simply to make me look good. And, and it's embarrassing. And, and so uh, I love scriptures like the one in Ecclesiastes where it, it reads, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to honor anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. And so it's a great verse for um, just a moment of reflection for all of us as a, as a community. And so how, how have you used the name of the Lord? Have you used it uh, out of context, out of the context of worship and prayer? Have you used it as an expression of frustration? Or maybe you've used it as a curse word or simply showing yourself Right. Or maybe you, you swing to the other end where you don't even remember God. And truth be told, after a Sunday, you don't even remember mentioning him from a Monday to Saturday. And you don't remember him at all. In fact, there is this one writer who says, if you read through the Ten Commandments, a majority of the commandments could actually be observed by simply lying in bed. <laughs> That's not the answer either. Because God tells us to speak of his name. So what do we do? And this is where it's really helpful to go back to Isaiah. Going back to Isaiah chapter 6. 
where he said, Woe is me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. And then look at what follows afterwards. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Meaning your sin has been paid for. What is happening here? There's this live coal that comes from heaven that touches the lips of Isaiah, and he is cleaned with this coal. And so I said, well, God, well, why don't you just take a bunch of coal and just pour it onto the earth, letting all of these pieces of coal touch all of our lips so that we're all cleansed and we're all clean." He actually does something better. He does something better, and I'll explain it through this Matthew 17 chapter. And in Matthew 17, it's a passage called the Transfiguration. And like in the Isaiah 6 passage, God shows up as well. And in the Transfiguration, Jesus is up on this mountaintop, and he just has a few disciples with him. God shows up and God speaks. And when God speaks, when there's this encounter with God, that you know what happens to the disciples? They fall to the ground. They fall to the ground. They are terrified. In other words, these disciples are saying, woe is me. And yet, what was Jesus' reaction to this? Did Jesus say, woe is me? No, he didn't. He just stood there. There was an encounter with God. The disciples go down. Meanwhile, Jesus just stands there. Why? Because it is only Jesus Christ who walked the face of the earth with perfectly clean lips. It is only him. He did not fall to the ground. And Jesus is actually a better Isaiah. If you look at this, Isaiah needed this coal to come from heaven to touch his lips to be cleansed, for his guilt to be taken away. But Jesus didn't need that coal. Why not? Because metaphorically speaking, Jesus is that coal. Jesus is that coal. How? Well, notice what that live coal did. The live coal took away the guilt of Isaiah. And so when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was actually pronounced guilty of all things. He was pronounced guilty for blasphemy. He was pronounced guilty for misusing God's name. But we all know he wasn't guilty. He was an innocent man. And so whose guilt did he carry on the cross? He carried ours. He carried ours. So on the cross, he took away our guilt, he placed it upon himself, and then he died. So that the follower of Jesus Christ will be freed from that guilt and then live. Here's another way of putting it. Isaiah said, woe is me, I have unclean lips, I am ruined. The follower of Jesus Christ says, woe is me, I have unclean lips, Jesus takes my ruin. And it actually gets better. Notice the coal had to be a live coal. 
It had to be a live coal because dead coals don't do anything. Dead coals don't function. Dead coals don't cut it. And so when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he showed that he is that live coal that takes away guilt. He is that live coal that cleanses our lips. He is that live coal that forgives our sin. So that those who say, woe is me, Jesus, come help, come help me, they are cleaned. And that's why it says in Scripture, that's why it says in Scripture, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning if he's a, that, that, that you believe that he is alive, you, by his love, are saved by his love, you are cleaned by his love, you are forgiven, and this is where your heart begins to change. Your heart begins to melt because of the love of Jesus Christ shown for you. You did not do a thing to deserve this live coal, and yet when you say, woe is me, he comes. He comes. And so your heart melts at the love of God shown to you. And then, of course, your speech begins to change. Because you've fallen in love. Isn't it true that when you fall in love, suddenly your speech is just a little bit different? Your skip is a little bit lighter. Your step is a little bit more carefree. This is what happens when the revelation of the love of God comes and hits you. You did not do a thing to deserve the cleansing of your lips. And yet, God sent his son to take that guilt away. And then it actually gets better. There's this, some, something powerful happens when we recognize the love of God through his son Jesus and we confess him as Lord, we believe that he's alive. There's something powerful that happens in Galatians chapter four, verse six, it says that God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts we, we recognize the love of the Father. We speak his name. We say, woe is me. We, I need you. We speak his name, and there's something supernatural that happens. The spirit of Jesus Christ comes in, and he makes his way to our hearts. And it's through the spirit of his son that we cry, Abba. This, this word that means Papa. This word that means Daddy. And so remember, remember that, that velvet rope? It, it's like that rope was there to protect the one of great value. But when Jesus Christ comes, came, he unbuckled that velvet rope so that we can have access to the one of great value and we can speak this word, Abba, Father. There are those who would not dare mention the name of God because of His holiness. And yet through us, through Jesus, we say, Papa, we say, Daddy, how can, how can we not, how can we not observe the third commandment? Papa, Daddy. And so just as a good um, next steps before we move into communion, um, let me just answer the question, what, what now? What are, how, do I, how do I respond to this great love? Well, could it be that it's time for you to observe silence? That you simply reflect 
on the love of God through Jesus Christ, which gives us now access to the one of unspeakable value. And so, of course, we're not going to misuse that name. And for you, maybe you have not confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Today could be your day. There's a prayer team that's going to be up here. Today could be your day when you recognize that you do have unclean lips, which is a printout of an unclean heart. Allow Jesus Christ to bring cleansing to that heart that you might be given access to the one of great value, Papa, Daddy, God. And then, you know, baptisms are coming up. This could be another sign of your obedience to him. And now, after you're silent, number two, don't be silent. You're called to speak his name. You're called to talk about who God is to your children when you lie down, when you get up, when you wake up. And so speak of his name. We're not only called to be silent, but to also tell others that if they themselves say, woe is me, that Jesus comes and forgives and he heals and he cleanses. And then lastly, would you just stand with me on this last one here? If you just, would you stand as we move into communion and as we invite the worship team to come forward? The last one that we might simply respond in worship. That we respond in worship. How can we not? Recognizing this great love of the Father shown through his Son. And there's this beautiful verse in Philippians 2.9. And it reads, God exalted Jesus to the highest place And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue, every printout, every part of speech that is a reflection of the heart of God acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Amen. And so, Father, we simply ask as we move into communion, Father in heaven, I recognize that this needs to be a revelation from you. Would you come and reveal your love to us now? As we go to the communion table, it is a beautiful act of worship to remember him who died for you by taking the body and the blood. And what we typically do during communion is we, uh, we pray this prayer together as a way of examining our hearts, confessing our sin, and receiving forgiveness. And so if you would put up that, that prayer. And after we pray, uh, pray this, um, the folks are up here ready to serve the bread and the cup. And after we pray, would you simply come up, uh, hold, you could take the bread, dip it in the cup, and bring it back to your seat and hold on to it, hold on to it so we can pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own faults 
in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Come up and partake. You are God in heaven and he Yes, I will stay. 
that he was betrayed Jesus Christ took the bread and then he broke it and then he gave thanks and then he said this is my body broken given up for you and then the same way he took the cup and then he said this is my blood poured out for you do this in memory in memory do this remembering me and so let's partake together Let's just pause for a moment. Thank you, Lord. We do remember. We remember, Lord. We remember that name that is above any other name. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And every knee will bow and recognize that you are King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So Father, I simply ask, Lord God, that by your grace, that you continue to transform hearts here and now. Would you blow us away with your love? thrown shown through your son Jesus Christ thank you Lord and as is customary here at New Life we end the service with a word of blessing and so I invite you to hold your hands this way palms upward because there's much cursing in this world there's much cursing in the world around us maybe in your workplace or maybe even in your home or in your neighborhood and so we speak words of life And so may God bless you and may he keep you. And may he cause his face and his love to shine upon each and every one of you. And may he be gracious unto you and fill you with his peace, fill you with his love. And may you go in the anointing and in the power of his Holy Spirit as you remember the name that is above any other name. And all God's people said, Amen. Good afternoon, everyone.